Welcome to the Girls Marketing Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things marketing and the perfect backing track to your workday. Every week, we get up close and personal with marketers revolutionising the industry so you can learn from the best in the game. From the latest marketing trends to building a successful marketing career, no topic is off limits. At Girls in Marketing, we champion progress, inspire change and encourage women to take the marketing world by storm. Check out our website and membership to learn more and get involved as we'd love to welcome you to our inner circle. Right, let's dive in to another episode together. Hello and welcome back to the Girls of Marketing podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Beth O'Malley. Beth is a CRM and email marketing specialist and also the founder of Astral Digital. Today, we're going to be talking all about the rise and future of email marketing as well as CRM. So Beth, tell me a little bit about how you got to, to where you are to now being an email marketing and CRM specialist. Sure. So about 11 years ago, I started a digital marketing apprenticeship, which was amazing. It was brilliant. And one of the first things I ever did that landed on my desk was, we need to send these emails out. You're going to be managing member emails, member comms, and then conversion comms as well. And their strategy was very much like, we've got a list of 20,000 people, send out the email, get it gone, go. And I remember saying, okay, why are we sending one email to all these people when they're all different levels of membership, they're all different interests, they all join for different reasons, they're all at different levels of their career. But it was like, well, that's what we do. We just we just need to get it out. So that was my first role where I, I said, let's try something different. Let's do a little bit different. Let's do a couple of different emails. Let's segment the data a little bit. Um, and we did, and it worked brilliantly. So I led that then and I built up to a role there, became a uh, digital uh, marketing exec. Then I went and joined um, Ricks, which is another membership body, and I kept working there. That's where I really was interested then in like data. So I started working on the website. I wanted to understand user journeys, touch points, always been interested in stuff like that. So worked my way up there, moved on again, moved on again. And I became like a full email and mark, like email marketing CRM specialist um, after probably like my third role. So massive CRM projects, massive business, like we needed to implement it. I raised my hand. I was like, I'm going to do this did it, absolutely loved it. And then from there, joined an agency, doing the kind of same role for specific bigger businesses. I thought I can do this myself. So I set up Astral and um, here we are. And I like to do lots of different CRM projects, work with lots of different clients, lots of different businesses, helping them improve their email marketing and improve their CRM. Mm -hmm. Absolutely love it. I love that because what I absolutely love there about what you said was the fact that you kind of raised your hand and you said, you know, I'll, I'll do it. These are the things I think we should do and, and I'll do it. Yeah. And I think the confidence yeah. that I don't know, maybe if you felt like that then, but that is such a, a good thing to be doing, especially as an yeah. apprentice. You know, we have a, a wide range of people listening to the podcast and some of them are in that kind of apprentice yeah. role. Do you think that having that sort of like confidence to say, oh, I'll do this or I'll lead this helped you within that kind of first role that you had? Absolutely. But I will say I got shot down a lot so this was probably like the fifth or sixth time I'd said it and there was other things there was like website things and I've had it since I was at school like Beth always has something to say like she always questions something she always talks back Um, but that's how I was able to get to kind of the point that I am now where it's don't be afraid to have those ideas because sometimes even the best minds even the leaders they sometimes need they don't they don't know everything I don't know everything there's always a different perspective or there's always a different idea so I think if anybody's listening that is in the same position like don't be afraid if you've got 
got an idea, do it. And that's what marketing's about, isn't it, really? It's about testing and trying and seeing what works and what doesn't. So it's definitely helped um, doing that, but I did get rejected a lot. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes a lot of resilience yeah. when you are rejected to say, actually, I'm going to do that again or I'm going to mm-hmm. try it. And I think, yeah, I definitely from, from my perspective and kind of my background, sometimes like that rejection is a lot and you think, yeah. oh, I don't know. Again. I don't know if I want to do it again, but I love that you kind of continue yeah. to, to do that. Do you think that having that resilience allowed you to then now obviously doing your own thing being the founder of business do you think that that impacted you now in like a a positive way a hundred percent like I've always been really sensitive to rejection to feedback always so it's it's been something I've had to grow and I've had to develop otherwise you know you've got to have that level of resilience I think in marketing anyway because things don't work Mm -hmm. things don't always go to plan you could carefully craft a whole campaign and it could flop so I think having that resilience and also not taking it personally and understanding that in an organization everyone's got different opinions everyone has different perceptions of marketing so it's really important to like get those people on board take them on the journey with you and then your ideas are kind of a little bit more welcome whereas you know I wasn't ever saying I know how to do this I just was like okay well let's just try something new what's the harm you can always be better so and that's what I say with email marketing everyone I speak to is like yeah well it kind of works it does it does the job but you can always be better and you can always grow yeah I want to dive into something you said before about data because I think data is not for a lot of people like very sexy is it Mm. like a lot of people don't really like it we love to think of ourselves as like creative marketers and and that sort of thing but when it comes to data sometimes it's it's a lot like Mm -hmm. you know it's a lot to deal with there's spreadsheets there's documents there's all these different things but you actually have now went into more the data side of things what actually started that like passion where do you feel like that come from because I don't know I think a lot of people lean towards the creative side of things how do you feel like you found that journey and path and said actually I really enjoy like CRM and email I mean it's a weird thing to say that I enjoy isn't it data (laughs) like um but it was always I've kind of been creative in my my own way just from like being a child the way I think about things the way I see things the way my brain is but ultimately like when for me, it's having that fundamental understanding. I always want to know why. And I think it's really important as a marketer to want to know why. Like, why does something work? And you'll only ever find that in the data. So it's one, being able to be successful and drive revenue and do really great campaigns. You have to understand that why. But equally, my passion for data was, it was really easy for me to understand. I saw it and I wanted to figure out why. Like, what does this mean? So we send a campaign, you get like 1% click-through rate. Yeah, but like, why? What does that mean? What was wrong with that email? Let's pull it apart. So that that's my passion is finding out the why and then putting the plan in to go, okay, this is what we need to do next. And I think that's really important to have is the why. So data might not be that sexy, but it's, I just, I believe it underpins everything a marketer should do. And especially if you're doing email and CRM, like you've got to think about the data because without data, you're just guessing. Yeah, literally. I seen a LinkedIn post the other day that said, you know, to be that creative marketing girly that you want to be, you've got to be oh, like yeah. the data girly as well. And, <laughs> and that's the thing. I think sometimes people think that, you know, even if it's stuff you wouldn't necessarily think is data led, it is, you yeah. know, there's so much that goes into it, whether it's understanding 100%. the why, whether it's understanding, okay, why are we doing what we're doing? What are we trying to achieve? Yeah. I, I love that you say that because 
think I seen something a while ago that said about asking why like eight times. And mm. it's, you know, when you're in a conversation with someone, yeah. you ask why eight times to get to the real reason. Yeah. So if someone was to say, you know, um, oh, I think we should do this for our email campaign. You say, well, why? why? And then it's like, well, why? Well, why? And then you get to the point where it's like, okay, well, this is actually yeah, this is why. Our why. Yeah, this is our why. Um, and I think, you know, now I always see myself doing that, you know, asking myself, okay, well, why do we want to do yeah. this? What's it going to achieve? And I think that that ultimately gets you to that point where you say, okay, this is a successful yeah. like email strategy. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I've always found, I mean, my clients probably hate me because I'm always like, well, why are you doing that? But why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the goal? And I think so many marketers fall into the trap of just sending emails out for the sake of sending emails out because you need to tell people something. And that's the reason why, but that shouldn't be the reason why, why you send an email. It's got to be, you've got to have a one specific goal, one specific reason. And that might be loads of emails. Um, you know, everybody thinks you have to cram everything into one email, shoot it out the door when actually it doesn't work like that anymore in email marketing. So yeah, the why is really important. The data is even more important. As you might know, Hostinger is a sponsor of the Girls in Marketing podcast. And I want to tell you more about a project that I'm using it for at the moment. I needed to create my own professional website for a while now, but never had the time. Since I'm doing a lot more speaking and advising opportunities now, it's good to have a place to direct people to. If you've ever tried to build your own website, you know it can be, well, overwhelming. And I've been looking for something that is intuitive, flexible, and most importantly, can bring my vision to life without me needing to be a tech guru. That's exactly what Hosting App delivers. I decided to try out the AI-driven website builder and it was seamless. I simply had to write up three sentences to sum up what I was looking for and Hosting App does the rest. Its AI software offers personalized suggestions on layout, design, and even content, ensuring that my personal website not only looks professional, but also truly reflects my personality and ethos. It's been so empowering to see my ideas transform into a beautiful, functional website. What really stood out for me initially is the ease of customization. I can tweak every element to match my style, making my website a genuine representation of me and my work. So if you've been wanting to create a website for a while now, but not really sure where to even start with everything, I'd suggest giving hosting it a go. It's user-friendly, powerful, and will give you the confidence to create a website that you can be proud of. Over this season of the podcast, I'll be updating you with the progress of my professional website, as well as telling you more about the features that Hostinger offers. For now, you can head over to hostinger.com slash girlsandmarketing to try out their AI website builder for yourself. Because you're part of our community, Hostinger has kindly offered a discount code so you can use the code girlsandmarketing for an exclusive 10% discount. Now, let's get back into the episode. Let's dig a little bit into that then. So yeah. email marketing, segmentation, yes. that's kind of your jam. Yeah. Why why can't you just send an email out to 20, 30, 40,000 people, all the same email. Yeah, so I always say like the old era of email marketing is dead. However, there are huge brands still getting it wrong. So I call it spraying and praying. You send out to a big list, one message, and you will catch something. You will catch some revenue. I always say you cast your net wide, you catch catch some fish. You're going to get something. So people have been using that strategy for a long time because it has worked to a point. 
But now the inbox is so, so crowded. My inbox has 50,000 unread emails in. It's horrendous. It's awful. And to get a message through to me and to anybody else is even more difficult. And the other reason is the way people consume emails has changed. Everybody is now consuming content on their mobiles. You've got TikTok, you've got Instagram Reels, you've got Stories. It's quick, it's snappy. And so emails have to be like that. People are behaving the same way they would on TikTok, the way they are on email. So to put a long newsletter with loads of information that you think people want to see like when you go on TikTok your algorithm knows what you want to see so why are you not doing that for email you need to be able to know what people want their interests all the content that is going to be valuable to them everything that you're tracking behavior um, what they like what they don't like their preferences who they are their jobs where they are in their career and then you can push the right email so the spray and pray method is still being done by like I'm not going to name any brands but I'd say 90% of brands are still still there smaller businesses are getting it right some really good examples of small businesses doing email marketing that's just not like we're going to send to all. But I think it's the panic of having to get the email out and how long it takes to craft a good email is a full-time job. So it's the balance between we don't have enough resource and time to, okay, well, we need to get this out the door. We need to tell everyone. So then everyone's like, okay, we'll just get it out. So I think it's it's really difficult to get that right. And that's why there's been a rise in email jobs at the moment. So CRM managers, email specialists, because brands are realising actually the ROI on email is really, really high. So we've got to invest that time and money to get it right. Mm-hmm. Do you think then thinking about email marketing and CRM do you think that that is a a growing kind of industry I assume so from what you've said do you think that there's a lot of because people say all the time you know you've said yourself like email marketing is dead Dead. but (laughs) is it like is it as we know it you know what where is the future of that yeah so the the old way which is what I said is like generic messages let's blanket everyone with this one email and send that out that's dead that email marketing's dead but what we're seeing now is hyper-personalization and hyper-segmentation. So this is using AI into email service providers and into CRMs that are going to predict what people are doing based on what they're purchasing or their behavior. And this is really easy for like e-com brands because you can obviously track when people purchase things. So Moonpig have done it really, really well, but they're their next direction. So, you know, if you ordered a card for, for my birthday, it would remind you, wouldn't it? It would be like, best birthday is coming up. The next level of that is actually looking at the kind of cards that you're buying and they would develop that card and choose the right card for you by that date and say, we've got it already for you. You just need to buy it and add a message. And that's hyper-personalization. So for a B2B brand as well, it would be looking at the stages of people's career, how we like how people engage with different types of comms. You're collecting all of that and it's going to start to generate relevant content at the relevant time for those people. So if you're not ready to hyper-personalize, which a lot of brands aren't, they don't get just basic segmentation right then you're probably not ready for what's to come in the future another massive change that's happening and that everybody needs to be aware of is that um, email clients like gmail outlook yahoo all of their privacy policies are changing and getting stricter which means it's now even harder to get into the inbox so if you thought it was hard now which it is one in five emails goes to spam it's even harder to get back in because we you have to have authentication set up and it's all the techie bits that really email marketers don't don't know about because you've never really had to think about it. But actually now, if you're not focusing on deliverability, you are going to miss the next two years. Privacy policies are going to come out and we could even enter a time where you don't have opens and you don't have clicks. So imagine sending an email and not knowing 
like who's clicked on something and you purely have to go off conversions or Google Analytics, that's where I'm predicting it's going to get to. So people have to adapt and they have to change. Mm-hmm. How do you think, what what would be like a first step with, with that, like adapting really? Because yeah. I think it can be quite scary to think, oh, well, if we don't have a world of opens yeah. and clicks, like what does the world look like? What's a first step, would you say, for someone who's looking at kind of like just modifying this strategy a little yeah. bit and making that first step you know it's not changing yeah. strategy and all that sort of thing yeah. what's so that first step the first step I think is really important and I do this with everyone is understanding where you are now so you need to audit your email marketing because there could be something really simple in there that you're getting wrong that's not working which could have a huge impact so imagine for example let's take you know you've got a really bad sender reputation. You might not know that. You keep sending emails. You're not seeing any progress with that. So to audit your email marketing, you can have a baseline of everything. So design, accessibility, deliverability, data. You know, is your data really poor quality? Is it incomplete? Is it not able to segment? Have you got the right systems in place? Knowing where you are, and then you can build on that and say, okay, to enable to get us to here in a year and be able to hyper-personalise, we need to sort our data out. We need some processes we need a better CRM we need we need an email marketing audit we need to understand if the content that we're writing fits that subscriber persona so start from scratch forget everything you know get it audited get that report set out have a look at everything you're doing and then you can start to pull it apart and just focus on small little steps like first of all just making your emails accessible there's small little tips and tricks that you can do to make sure that People can see your emails on mobile, on desktop, and just start really slowly. It's not a massive mountain hill. It doesn't need to be. It just needs to be small little fixes, and then you can grow and keep growing. So get the basics right first. Start with that, and then you can kind of go on to the more advanced bits. Yeah. What would you say... So with email... There's people from a range, like businesses have a range of different ways that they collect subscribers, right? Yeah. And there are some that are, I would say, more immoral than than others. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say for maybe anyone who's listening or anyone who has experience with brands that maybe immorally collect email data and maybe don't have access to those that sort of data points? Like, how do you think... Because I spoke to someone recently yeah. who was kind of like, right, we want to do this email marketing strategy. Um, but the way we collected the data wasn't the most kind of moral. Okay. How do you think the best way to go about that is? Is there a way to combat that? Or is it just a case of we don't really know anything about these people? I guess. And that's it. So when it comes to that, I think there's a frank conversation that needs to happen as to go, if you buy data lists or you get your data from somewhere that is a little bit immoral or a bit unethical and it's a bit naughty and you're probably not following best practices, just know that's a completely cold audience. Mm -hmm. So all of the effort that you're putting in, everything that you're doing is probably not going to have the same impact and efficiency and results as if you were to do it kind of the right way. Subscribers sign up for a reason. Like you give them something, there's some value, they see perceived value and that you keep, you make a promise, you keep it, you give them great content, whatever it might be. So I guess whoever's managing that process Process, you need to sit down and have a conversation and say, well, if you want us to build an email marketing strategy, spend all this time and effort, just know that it's probably not going to work as well when we do this. And you'll always see better results from subscribers that literally will subscribe for like for something. So stick to your promises. So if you're saying, um, if you sign up to my list, I'm going to give you this piece of content, this downloadable. Stick to your promises, make sure we deliver great content and don't just like slam them with promotional emails straight away and hope that they, they hook them in and they buy. So I think there's a whole piece of like ethics 
ethical um, practices in email marketing because data gets sold. There's lots of scammers out there now. Like scams are getting way more sophisticated, which which is why email clients are like blocking a lot of things and they're changing a lot of things. So you have to bring the subscribers to you. You have to get them to opt in. So it's a case of having a conversation and saying we won't make we won't make much money from this. So mm-hmm. let's switch up the strategies and do a pull strategy. Get those people in. Get those hot subscribers and nurture them. It's better to have a small engaged audience than a big one that you've just bought as a data list. And it's really important to to make sure that you're being ethical through all of your practices with email. It's really important. Yeah, I think as well, you know, it happened a lot with B2B because Mm -hmm. people find it really difficult to kind of have that opt-in from like a B2B sense sometimes. Um, I don't know if you have any ideas for anyone who maybe is in B2B for that idea of getting those people like opting in and and stuff like that. You know, are there any kind of practices that you've or strategies that you've implemented that have done particularly well? Yeah, it it definitely depends on the industry, the service that the B2B, you know, that you're providing as a B2B. Um, Lead magnets, when they're done the right way, are really, really great. So you've got lead magnets, webinars, masterclasses, things that you can start conversations, things that people actually want, they want to learn. And it's all about starting those conversations. So my services are very B2B and my aim is never to kind of like capture the email address straight away and start emailing. It's very much, let's start a conversation, ask a question. And I think, I think buying data lists for B2B has had like a bad rep. I think there's some really immoral things going on there. However, cold outreach does work really well. So email outreach does work well for B2B. You've just got to get it right. There's lots of things to consider here. I think we've all had those emails where it's like, hi, first name, you do this at this company and I've got this service that would work really well. And that doesn't work anymore because you're assuming that somebody needs something just off the bat. You haven't invited them in with anything. So I would say craft a marketing funnel that has a lead magnet, a webinar, a masterclass, whatever it might be, something part of your service that's really valuable and draw them in like that. But don't expect them to buy after that. Like, I think that's the mistake a lot of B2B companies do. And one of my recent clients was expecting, you know, loads of conversions off the back of a masterclass when 100 people had never heard of them before. It takes time to nurture, especially through email. You've got to build trust, build credibility, and then you can start to slowly push that sales messaging in. So if you do B2B marketing, provide value, ask questions, start conversations, and then you can capture email addresses and capture data and work them through your funnel. Mm-hmm. I think provide value is a key takeaway, isn't yeah. it? Really, you know, for any for any business, B two C, B two B, I don't think it really matters. You no. know, providing value is something that if you're able to do that as a company, people will see. Okay, yeah. well, actually, they've provided me with this value. I'm gonna, you know, yeah. go onto their email list or I'm gonna download something because they see that value. But they've got to see that before yeah. anything else kind 100%. of happens. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the balance of like email marketing and CRM. Sure. Because I think, obviously, you are email marketing and CRM specialist. Mm -hmm. So how would you say, how would you go about kind of finding that balance between... CRM and email. Yeah. So, so I think, first of all, everybody everybody I meet anyway, any specific group of people actually have a well-defined uh, meaning of what CRM is. So when I talk to some people, CRM marketing is essentially email marketing and it's data marketing. So there's lots of different terms that you can use, but CRM is what it says on the tin. It's, it's customer relationship management. It's not a database. It's not a service 
platform. It's not a marketing platform. It's not a sales platform. It's a relationship management tool. So there's some CRMs where the email service provider that you send your emails from is built in. So it's kind of a mix of everything. So CRM complements email by providing that foundation. So it provides an area for you to store to manipulate data in order to profile people. It should collect everything from, you know, when did that person last look at your website? When was the last interaction? When did they order something? When did they go on a call with you? When was the last follow-up? Have they, you know, have they gone in the sales pipeline before? It should collect everything to a point where you can build your personas into CRM. You've got automated personas. This is the ideal, ideal thing for anybody doing email is, and like you've got, all your profiles, all your different lists, and then that pulls into your email strategy. So CRM is like your fundamental. If you don't get that right, your email marketing is going to be rubbish and I can I can put money on it. It's going to be bad because you just haven't got the right data in place. So the way that it works with each other is if you're an email marketer and you don't touch your CRM, you should probably go and have a look in there and actually look what data has been collected and understand actually how does this impact my email marketing? Because you could be in a business where somebody's got off customer service just off the phone with someone and you've sent a marketing email out right after that conversation, but that could have been a really negative conversation. So all of these different journeys and touch points and circumstances need to be accounted for. Otherwise, you'll end up with two separate systems that don't talk to each other. And I still see it. Mm-hmm. People upload lists from the CRM into the email platform and send off the email, but it's really not very personalised. It's not bespoke. So having that one source of truth is really important and they, they have to work together. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting because, you know, you can often have, you know, a negative conversation with a brand and yeah. then it's like you get an email through yeah. and you're kind of like, why are they emailing yeah. me? We had a really negative conversation. And I think that is a way to kind of like annoy like customers annoy. or potential potential customers, yeah. um, which is really interesting. So making sure that they kind of work together um, to, to do that is is really interesting as well. Um, so misconceptions of email uh, marketing. Yes favorite um i want to know a little bit about you know misconceptions in email marketing what are some of the big biggest ones that you kind of find biggest one and you if you follow me on linkedin you know i always say this but open rates if you're tracking open rates as like a really key performance indicator and that's what you go to go we got a 50 percent open rate we've done really really well um it, it just just stop because there is so much happening with open rates that they're just highly unreliable. So we did a study. Um, we sent thirty five thousand emails to thirty five thousand people, and we found that now and again, there's lots of other studies that support this that people open to delete. So they don't unsubscribe anymore. You have to really annoy someone. I mean, the odd person will they will get it and unsubscribe. They have the time, but as I said earlier, it's fast. People don't have time. They open to delete. So think of that like you're sending emails and you get 50% open but actually a portion of those they're opening to delete so open rates very unreliable Apple Mail brought out last year um, their privacy policy which means that if you send to anybody that uses Apple Mail it will automatically mark it as open so that's an open rate there that you that you get which isn't an open and then you've got things like Outlook so Outlook's reading pane is usually a default setting for anyone on desktop when you're in an organisation And when you read it in the reading pane, it doesn't get tracked as an open. So you're losing out on opens and then your open rates are being highly inflated. And I just see it all the time. I see agencies saying we get your emails 50% open rates and that's why you should work with us. And actually, that means nothing. What what, What the important thing you need to track is the goal. Did you meet that goal with that email? How many people went on and downloaded that? 
that piece of content that you offered to them? How many people clicked through onto the website and signed up to a free trial? So that's the biggest misconception. And I do get a lot of people disagree. You know, it is still important. I think it's important to have in your kind of pile of metrics, but it's not one you should focus on. I just think throw that away, focus on the goals. Have you met your goals? So that's the biggest one. Another misconception is email marketing is dead. It doesn't work. It's overcrowded. It's saturated. And my response to that is if, if you think it's not working, it's probably because you're not doing it right. And I've worked with brands where we've turned around their email marketing. They've come to me and said, it's not our strongest channel. I don't think we want to spend money here. And I've I've managed somehow to persuade them to, to let me go in and do their emails. And we've made it their strongest channel, but it's you've got to know how to do it. So I think email is still, like I would say, the hottest marketing channel, the ROI. Every pound you spend, you get £40 back. So if you're not doing it, and it's a cheap channel to use, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money. If you're not doing it, you need to do it. You need to learn how to do it well. Hey, I'm Beth, founder of Astral Digital, and I've partnered with Girls in Marketing on their brand new course, Elevate Your Email Marketing Strategy. This course is your end-to-end guide designed to equip you with essential knowledge and tools to harness the power of email marketing. You'll be able to work your way through six insightful modules that will guide you through the world of email marketing and unlock business growth. So if you're ready to elevate your email marketing campaigns, become a Girls in Marketing member to access this course now. Yeah. Well, email marketing is one of the the only ways really you can speak directly to, I mean, your customers, potential customers, uh, past customers, because that and SMS, I mean, what other way can you speak directly to people? Can you be on their phone, on their laptop, in their, like directly in their their, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. in their life? Because, you know, people talk about, oh, you know, I'm not going to invest in email marketing, but it's like, well, actually, how else are you directly speaking to future past, present yeah. customers. How how does that even work? I think people have just got it. I think because people look at their own inboxes and they go, these are rubbish emails. These are rubbish. And then they assume that, that it doesn't, how am I supposed to stand out in that inbox? But I think you're absolutely right. Email is the only, email and SMS and CRM marketing is the only place you own your audience. Mm-hmm. So if you're social media, if you focus on just social and social is great, like it's great for building the list. But if my LinkedIn was to go down and I didn't have an email list, I've got nothing. My business is gone. My, I don't own any of my audience. So if, if you're not focusing on email as a really strong channel, I think that's just a huge mistake to make. Like it really is. And I think that's that's what I'm trying to get out there. I'm trying to tell people like there is a right way to do it. You can really have amazing success. I think there's only a couple of industries maybe where I'd say don't put all of your eggs into that kind of basket and don't invest. But 99% of the time, emails, like you said, it's a conversational channel. That's what people get wrong. It's People think it's a broadcast channel. It's not. It's a, it's a conversational. And one of the things that really annoys me is, you know, when you get an email in your inbox and the email address is no reply, mm-hmm. no reply at brand. For me, that's the most impersonal thing you could do. You've just sent me an email into my inbox and I'm not allowed to reply. This, e- this inbox is unmonitored. Don't reply. And I think that's where brands go wrong. They spray and pray. They get it out. It's a broadcast. This is what we're selling. They expect you to go and do it. But yet I can't reply to an email and talk to you. How do you think you can build relationships with people? Mm-hmm. So that's another thing. If you've got a no reply email address, you need to change that. <laughs> yeah. I, well, as a consumer, I think that's so annoying because yeah. I was, I think I was on my emails a few weeks ago and I was like, oh, Oh, you know, I had a question for a brand. I was a customer, current yeah. customer. They'd emailed me with a no reply. And I was Oof. like, oh, I, 
I, I went to reply and then I realised it was a no, no reply. Point. So I typed up the email and everything and then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to go out, find another email for them. There was no email on their website, nothing, <gasps> no way I could contact them. And I was kind of like, right, okay, well, what do I do now? Yeah. So I was like, I can't reply to the no reply, but how else do I contact this brand? So I just ended up not doing it. And then I was like, that could have been... Yep you know, a potential, I, I I am a customer, but I could have been an upgraded customer or I could have, but that was a bit of a negative experience. Yeah. And I think when it rolls around to like mm. renew with that um, particular kind of um, brand, I'd mm. probably think, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not really sure now because yeah. they, they weren't, they didn't want to listen to kind of what I, yeah. what I had to say. So it's interesting that you say about no reply. Um, and I always feel like it's the bigger brands that have that it's no the reply. Brands. It's, mm. the, it's the biggest brands. And you know what? I think their probably attitude is, well, we're big enough that like, if you need to get in touch with us, we've got a live chat or we can find a different way. But I think how, what you described is you don't feel important mm-hmm. as a customer to that brand. And yeah. it's just, I hate it. I see it. And I'm like, it's the first thing where I'm like, oh, you need to get rid of that. Like, no reply. You make it really clear in the email, do not reply to this email. And I've done the same. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I've even just sent the email, then I get a bounce back and yeah. it doesn't it doesn't accept me. But it's, um, yeah, it's a really poor way to treat your subscribers. Mm-hmm. Like, really poor. Mm-hmm. So flipping that on its head then, yep. some favourite brands yes. that do email really well. You obviously yes. mentioned Moonpig before, but are there any brands that you think yeah. they are doing email so well? Yes, yes. So um, there is a pet brand called Pet Rebellion. And I, I do know the person that does their email marketing actually but they have the most amazing emails so they use storytelling in their email so it's a pet brand pet products and there's actually there's um there's inspector pause and there's a whole campaign around um and it, it is very promotional there's lots of discounts but you have to be part of an exclusive club um and the emails that i get there's always a story and you're always prompted to look out for the next one this is when we're going to send it and when you do stuff, so you view things or you purchase things, the, the level of personalization that it goes down to is really, really good. And like the timing of their emails is perfect. So I've been emailed by brands, you know, you order something, it hasn't been delivered and they, they re- send the review email. You're like, well, I haven't got my product yet. They're perfectly timed. Um, their customer kind of experience through email when you're purchasing is amazing. And then the upsell, it doesn't even feel like an upsell. You get those emails and you love to engage with them. They're great. And they're very accessible as well. So even though they're an e-com brand, they don't have really image-heavy emails. They're actually built in a way that looks really great, but works on any device. So like kudos to them, they're, they're, they're great. Um, another brand is a really small brand. Um, they're a sustainable uh, toilet paper company called Who Gives a Crap? And they get their emails like, on point every time. Their subject lines, their, their subject lines, they keep them about four words and they're always really clear. They hook you in, you open it and then the email is just beautiful. It is short, which is great. It's short and snappy. It's really well designed. It's accessible and it gets to the point and it has one call to action. It's very clear what you need to do. It's very clear what the value is of you reading it and it just always engages, I'm sure, all of their subscriber base. So they do it amazing as well. Yeah. What would you say about call to actions then? Because obviously you've said they have one kind of call to action how do you feel about multiple call to actions (laughs) one like singular call to actions in emails when when you're kind of thinking about them so like this is like a proper debate that goes on in the email marketing world um so from my experience and all of the emails you know i've sent hundreds of millions of emails the one done a lot of user testing the one thing that we've seen is that when you have one call to action and i'm not just talking about you know 
don't you don't have to have multiple buttons, but it's just one action that you want them to do. You haven't got download, sign up here, then something else takes them somewhere else. You've just got one clear action that email will always perform better. And the reason for that is, there's a few reasons. First of all, um, once somebody clicks on that email, clicks on that link in that email, takes them off to the website, humans get very distracted. So mm. you go onto that website and the likelihood of them coming back to the email to continue what they were reading, they don't need to. They've gone, they've clicked, you've hooked them, they've gone, they're not coming back to your email. So when you look at multiple clicks in your reporting, you'll see there's only like two or three people that have clicked on different links and they aren't coming back. So if you're sending a massive, massive email and you're asking them to do all sorts of things, like the chances are it's going to be the first call to action that they click or the bottom one. So that's the first first thing. And then secondly, it confuses people. Like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you want me to click here and do this? Or do you want me to go over here and read that? And it's information overload and it doesn't feel very personalised. So my top tips for that is have one call to action per email. If it is a longer email where you have to scroll, strategically place them throughout the email. So you've got different types of um subscribers, ones that go in, they scroll really, really fast, up and down, up and down. Is there anything important? And then they're off. So it's good to have them placed throughout so you can capture them at any point. Then you have slow readers and they won't do anything till they get to the bottom of the email. So always have it at the bottom. And then you've got people that go in, they read the first bit and then they click straight away. So they're the click to delete. They're the open to deleters. You've got to get them. So place them throughout. You don't need to overload. There's um, a company called Emma and they do financial um, loans and stuff like that. And they do this beautifully. There's a lovely white space. There's a clear call to action button throughout. And it takes you to one page, one thing, one message, one action. It's great. It's brilliant. So Mm -hmm. definitely reduce the amount of uh, buttons going all over the shop. But when it comes to newsletters, you can obviously be a little bit more flexible. You've got a lot of links. It's more of informative. Like we're telling you this is what's going on. And then you can use that as a basis to then send those specific emails with those, just take out chunks from your newsletter and follow up with separate emails focusing on that thing. Because, you know, girls marketing, we have the the newsletter, don't we? Mm -hmm. And it's important to inform people. And then throughout the month, we will push on those certain topics, those certain things to give them that one action. So you can be a little bit flexible with it, but it's important to focus on when you're trying to drive revenue through an email, just one call to action, please. Yeah. No, so to to finish up, because I've absolutely loved having this conversation. I feel like I love email, CRM, just love geeking out about it. Um, to finish up, I want I want to ask for any actionable tips yeah. that people can kind of take away from today. Obviously, other than all of the good stuff that we've already like chatted about, is there anything that you would kind of share with with listeners if they want to go away and build like a really good, solid email marketing CRM strategy? What are some of the kind of things that you sure. would say to them? First things first is have a look at um, your goals. Like before you do anything, like why are you sending emails and do that? Why, why, why again? And get that mapped out. Second of all, some really quick wins that you can put into your emails. And I can guarantee you, you'll probably be shocked. So run your email through a testing platform. So you've got Litmus, you've got email on Acid. Run that email through there and actually look at what it would look like in dark mode. So dark mode is used by 50% of Apple users. I think it's a lot of default settings for emails and it will dramatically change what your email looks like. So run it through there. Um, Some email platforms... um, like HubSpot has that built in so you can look at it already, but look at what it looks like and really look at what it looks like and go, okay, your email's probably going to look pretty bad. And then the second thing is, is look, look at what it looks like without images. So images are everything in email, you know, having that design is a really important part of email marketing, but a lot of the time 
Um, one in five emails doesn't render properly. So you've got to see what it looks like without images. Then use that to build descriptive alt text. So make sure your email flows without images, what it looks like in dark mode. And just say to yourself, if I was a subscriber and I got that and it didn't load properly or it looked like that in my inbox, would I really give it the time of day? Probably not. So that's like the first thing is just the design and stuff like that. And third of all is accessibility. I always harp on about it because it's so important, but nobody thinks about it. Having accessible emails doesn't mean that you're just catering for like one group of people. You're providing a better experience for everyone. Accessible emails are really simply put is simple, short, lots of white space, short in length, snappy, clear, one call to action and try that. And the final actionable tip is if you're not doing it already, incorporate plain text emails into your strategy. Lots of brands will just use HTML emails and that's great. They're great. They are really good at getting um, conversions for products. But you'll find you've got a pot of people in your subscriber list that are really disengaged. And what works all the time, every single time, is a plain text email from a human, from your business, that re-engages them checks in on them, tells them what's going on. um, And then you will start to see that you'll get some replies. Make sure you have your replies on. Um, You'll get some engagement, you'll get some conversions and it's a really nice way to re-engage. So try a plain text email, make it look like it's come from a human, make it feel human and personal and you'll watch the engagement go back up. Thank you so much for the discussion today. I've had too much fun. Me too. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Girls in Marketing podcast. It was a good one, wasn't it? If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review and rating of the podcast and share it with someone who may find it useful. Your support really does go a long way. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. But in the meantime, keep up to date with Girls in Marketing over on social media and our website. We'll pop some helpful links in the description. Mm